Welcome to the Jay Morton Podcast. We're already three episodes into the seven episodes that touch on the mindset strategy I explored in my recent book, Soldier. So I hope you're enjoying it so far. I'm Jay and I'll be joined for each episode by a guest who's earned the respect in their own life adventures. Today's subject is leadership and my special guest is Dylan Hartley. But before we get into the episode, I'd like to give a shout out to our sponsors, Harley Davidson, an iconic brand that could teach us a thing or two about leadership. From the first bike they built in a tiny shed in 1903, to being the first mainstream motorcycle manufacturer to introduce a fully electric vehicle in the award-winning Livewire. Harley's a brand that totally embraces the freedom and adventure that comes with carving your own road. I'll be trying their industry-leading tech on the new Pan America motorcycle very soon, but before I do, let's get into today's episode, and my guest who potentially knows more about leadership than anyone I know, ex-England rugby captain, Dylan Hartley. I've only been waiting half an hour and I decided to eat a banana right before we start. Right, let's go. Morning, Jay. Morning, Dylan. How are we? Good, thanks, mate. Thanks for having me. Good. Thanks for uh, thanks for being on. How's, uh, how's life? All right, yeah. yeah. Diverse. Uh, still trying to work it out. People kind of say... What do you do now? And I honestly don't know. <laughs> yeah, I'm the same though. We like, we probably finished, I probably finished my military career at the same time you finished rugby. So 2018? Yeah, around then, yeah. And about, I mean, it was, it was winding down for about three, four years. Yeah, um, but but same with me though. Like I'd already finished before I finished. Did you know that though? Did yeah. you know it was coming? Well, mine, yeah. mine was a bit like, you know, if you can get to 35 as a sportsman, you, especially in rugby, you've done well. So I kind of, it was like impending doom. Mm -hmm. I knew it was coming. Um, But yeah, still doesn't prepare you, I suppose. Um, Liberating though, right? Yeah. Um, I remember for me, it was was probably three or four years prior to actually getting out. Um, I was was actually in the mountains and I found myself. What? So you're up, you're up Mount Tibetibu Mount, and you were doing yeah, yoga on the peak of Mount li- Tibetibu. Literally, I was, to- I was talking to a tree. Okay. And uh, now for me, it was just, I don't know, like, I'd, you know, I've been involved in, you know, whatever for so many years and it was just, I was just like, there's so much more to life than this. And then for the next four years, it was all about, I don't know, just, just winding down. I, I knew I was getting out and I remember when I got out, one of the lads turned around and was like, he was like, Jay, you were a civvy when you were in, so it's no surprise that you're getting out. And drove off. Uh, or was it, it, or there's was a it? few moments. There's a few moments of the, the harsh realities of it, and I'm not saying it's um, you know, a, a good or a bad thing. It's just the reality of it. It's almost like you're on the physio table, and I, I needed probably three, four hours a day of kind of prep or, or wind down or recovery um, f- to train probably an hour a day, to, to be on the field for an hour. I needed to be in the swimming pool, you know, mobility. I needed osteo. I needed massage. I needed treatment on my my knee and my hips. That was just to do like forty five minutes rugby session on the field, and so, then so to train, you needed to like pre yeah physio pre, and pre war yeah yeah. And that's not unusual. That's not because I was injured. A lot of older players are like that. Yeah, it's almost what you're doing before and after training is more important. Mm-hmm. So I was doing a lot of that, and then like the day you retire. It's like I didn't have access to all those things that were kind of keeping my body together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like now, 18, well, almost two years on, I'm kind of like picking up the the physical pieces, trying to put myself back together. Because all, all those um, 
the infrastructure or the the facilities that you had as a professional, they're just, I don't know, I can't just turn up. I probably mm. could just turn up and start using stuff, but yeah. like, what are you doing there? Um, yeah, so the physio, all those things that you kind of take for granted, and I, I did it for 16 years, so to not have it now is quite hard, you know. What, um, what were those things? Uh, what I kind of alluded to before, um, you know, swimming pool yeah. every day. So just pre or post, just doing lengths and just getting blood flowing in the body. <laughs> not, with the swimming, not doing with the swimming cap not, on. Not not like can you Baywatch. Swim doing? I can. I mean, body fat's high, so I float really well. But um, no, it's more mobility. So like being in in, in chest deep water or um, waist height water, doing like hip mobility yeah. and, and all those sorts of things. Because um, that must have been like quite advanced methods being professional like a professional sports person. Yeah, I mean, in terms I, did, of not I didn't many have to people. do it, but I, I, you know, I, I worked with loads of different physios and stuff, and I found things. And when when you're mid thirties and you've been playing sport for for that long, you work out what you need to do. Mm. Um, and yeah, I was just spending more time getting ready for training and winding down from training to get ready for training the next day than mm -hmm. I spent actually training. So, like in terms of when you finish, that's one of the harsh realities of that whole kind of um, support network physically mm -hmm. goes mentally i was gone like mm -hmm. um it's weird because i played with over at, at my club i stayed at one club i played with over 200 players so that's 200 200 guys you know 200 partners 200 families so it's all kind of a blur and mm -hmm. you know when you're coming through young free and single um at big boozy nights you know going out midweek with the boys playing playing at the weekend doing all that sort of stuff you know my kind of close friendships that i made at that time, we all kind of aged, people move clubs, um, people get married, people have families, mm. and it all just the dynamic changes. So when I was 32, 33, I look around the room and I'm, I'm announcing my retirement. I didn't know half the room. You know, there was, there yeah, was yeah. academy guys there that are 18 years old, and there's probably four or five faces in that crowd that I could kind of connect with. Um, you know, people like a Courtney Laws or, or someone, Tom Wood, people like that that I'd had my whole careers with. So, you know, and then you look at the 18-year-olds, they're all doing what I was doing 10 years prior, you know. Boosting so it up and... I just knew it was, yeah, it's, I'd done it all. Um, not completed it, mm. definitely not completed it, but in my mind, I'd, I'd got what I want from it. Um, and it's funny because when you're, when you're younger, you can give yourself to, to the organisation, to the team, um, to your craft, I suppose. Then as you get older, man, like, when you have kids and you get married and stuff like that, your priorities change. And then after training is almost um, a demand to get home to your other life, your, your, your real life. You know what I mean? Mm. Whereas when you're younger, you can stay in, you can doss about, you can play table tennis all afternoon. You can drink coffees, you can talk shit all day. But um, as soon as you have your family, you know, you've got priorities. I remember waking up on the morning of a game, you know, professional, professional rugby player. I was playing for England at the time. But like I'd wake up the morning of a game and you, when you wake up at home with kids, like you're not the priority. Mm -hmm. You've got to be selfless, not not selfish. And it's like sort the kids nappy, sort the kids milk, then do the kids breakfast. Then the dogs need feeding. And then someone turns up with a delivery. And I'm looking at the time and I'm like, I've got a home game. And it's like 12 o'clock. I've got to be in for one. I'm like, fuck, I haven't drunk any water today. I haven't eaten any breakfast. Yeah. So like, professional sportsmen like all that other shit kind of came before then having to go to work so that's where i knew it was like there was time as well it's crazy how much of a comparison there is to 
you know, playing especially a sport like rugby at a professional level and being in the special forces. Um, you know, there's a lot of comparisons. I think, you know, special, fo- you know, being in the special forces, you are at the top tier of, of soldiers within, you know, within the world, being an international rugby player, you are the top tier of, you know, rugby players within the world. Um, and even reading your book, The Hurt, there's... Um, <laughs> you read it, yeah? Yeah, I read it. I listened oh, to yeah. it. I'm sorry I didn't do the uh, the audio. Yeah, I was good. They didn't trust me with that. Really? No, I didn't get the, I didn't even get the option. Didn't you? No. I read mine. Uh, yeah, I know. I've listened to it. <laughs> 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 uh, did, did you send it to me? No. No. Did you, Bookstores were closed. I bought yours. Did you, you didn't even send me one. Oh, man. I bought... I bought the, the the hard copy. Yeah. I bought the audio book. Oh my I struggle gosh. reading, what? like reading word for word. Yeah, I can't. I can't it takes do too that. long. Yeah, I get bored as well. And then um, yeah, put it, it ends down up on the shelf. And put it you down. Lose it. Pick it up. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I was saying before, I like I, I could listen to yours at one point six. So I smashed through it in like five hours. Haskell's. <laughs> I had to slow him down. <laughs> right. The thing is with Haskell, it's actually 9. funny. It's it's an entertaining book, whereas mine's probably a bit um. Yeah, it's probably not as interesting. I could read James's over and over again. Yeah, it's funny. I was part of some of the stories, that's why. The, um, I think he's got a different name for me in the book, though. Has he? The the, the drinking games. Because you're, you're, you're from New Zealand, right? Yeah. What's the drinking game? So he mentions the drinking game the New Zealand lads play where you all go and climb a tree, drink five beers, and then come oh, back down. The, the hermit half dozen? Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, um, that's in rugby circles. Yeah. Uh, it's just a good way before you even start a team social because when you have a team social like court session or something, you always get guys that just sit there and the the beer start, you know, steam starts coming mm. off and like they hold them for that long. So we we done things uh, the hermit half dozen basically. Um, I don't endorse drinking alcohol, you know. Yeah, it's bad. Yeah, it's really so bad. bad. Great for team bonding though. Yeah. Um, but yeah, before we'd even start, you'd have to bring a six pack and you'd have to sit quietly by yourself and just like imagine 40, 40 to 50 blokes in, in a in a room not allowed to talk if you talk you had to kind of see it off no talking and you had to finish your your half dozen do you, do you, you drink them fast or are you just like sat there at whatever at whatever pace you want but you're allowed to join the, once you finished yeah the the party or the, the circle you're allowed to talk once you're finished and you're allowed to go toilet once you're finished as well is it is it a good game the Hermit Half does, yeah, because you, you basically, then you start official proceedings and everyone's on a good level. Right, wasted. Yeah, drink responsibly, yeah. Hermit Half. The, um, no, I think... And then know. some guys, like, basically, I remember the first time we did it, we said um, everyone's got to bring six beers. Mm. And I think they thought that was their contribution to the party. You know, we'd have a big table, we'd all put our put our beers on the table and we'd all share and that. So you saw some guys, like me, that knew what was happening, you'd mm. get like, um, what's the normal can? 330 mils? That's like a can of Coke, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, like yeah. So I got can, like yeah. a six pack like that because I, yeah, I knew yeah. what was happening. But you know, you get those craft beers. Yeah, the massive ones. Yeah, they're like over half a litre oh. jobbies. Guys brought like six of those and <sighs> you saw their, their little hearts sink when they, they knew what was happening. Yeah. But uh, Hermit Half, yeah, that's, um, yeah, give it a crack. Have you seen like a massive change in professional sport in terms of, say, drinking culture and training culture? Yeah, I mean, you, you always get... So, so alcohol and, and drinking culture at the, uh, the the top, you just can't do it now. Um, yeah, I think there's there's, um, there's a few branches to that tree. I mean, there's there's social media, there's there's expectation and demand uh, from a professional standpoint as a role model kind of standpoint. But then, um, 
you know, the, the training and the games come thick and fast now. Mm. You can't put yourself in a, a hole and because, you know, you're being selected to play at the weekend on what you're doing on Monday, Tuesday. So yeah. if, you, if you're flagging in any of those, and, you know, for me, some of that, you know, like skin folds, um, you know, my, my body weight went up and down when I played. So for me to cut out alcohol was just like the, the sensible thing to do. Um, but, yeah, that, that just changed in like a decade back then. You know, when I started, it was the culture. Yeah. It was the culture of, of what we probably or our listeners perceive rugby to be, kind of, um, you know, train hard, play hard. Very, very similar to the military. It was the same when I joined the military and we're similar ages, right? I'm, you're 35, I'm 30. I'm younger. I'm 30. You've got a full head of hair and less wrinkles though. I so. can walk though. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it was very similar in the in the military. It was when I first joined, everyone went out on a Thursday night, got smashed. Everyone went out on a Friday night, Saturday night. And I remember everyone would go out on a Thursday night and it was a place called Chicago's in Colchester. It was W dollars. So it was two for one on everything. Everyone got smashed. And then that was back when places closed at 2 a.m. Yeah. So you get back, you know, get five, six hours sleep. And Friday was always a Friday tab. So, you know, 35 pounds weapon. You go out as a, as a platoon and do, you know, 10 miles. And uh, I remember on Friday, it was like a regular thing for people to be vomiting and throwing up on this tab. Um and you'd be like at the back as a marker, just smelling all this this sick. But I think the military definitely changed. And even, you know, the relationship, you know, listening to your book and hearing when you joined playing rugby, that was that was the way that the old boys were, right? Everyone drank beer, everyone, you know, there's a, a laughing joke on on Special Forces selection that um you didn't need like the sports supplements, the 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 rehabilitation, the foam rollers, the you know, putting the 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 tight tights on in the middle of the night and stretching and cold baths. He didn't need that. He just needed, you know, a packet of chips and, you know, a kind of, kind of Guinness. Yeah. And that was your recovery back then. But that's and, culture, right? That's, yeah. But that's I, you didn't have the recovery. Well. You didn't have the recovery, did you? You didn't, you didn't know what compression tights were or what foam rollers did. And we took, I remember on selection seeing the Royal Marine lads and they were, we'd all come back in from a tab and. What's it? What's the tab? Tactical advance to battle. Of course it is. You you should know that. Yeah, that's what we do. Yeah. That's what I do. Yeah. Tab. Um, but we'd come back in from a march, right? We'll just call it a march. Yeah. And you'd so I'd do the cold, like flush the legs with cold. At the time, just because it felt good, right? Yeah. You didn't know the signs behind it. I'd stretch. And then for me, it was about eating. So consuming as many calories as possible. And you had we like the flappers that would be up, you know. You have flappers, right? It's a normal term. Like flap, flapping like a bird. It's like a flapper, right? So yeah, if you're, well, someone that flapping that's kind of erratic. and Yeah, if you yeah. don't have the confidence in what you're doing, you generally flap. Yeah, yeah. And you'd have the flappers, generally generally raw marine lads, and they'd be up till 10, 11 o'clock at night. The, the, the classic was, so you pack your kit, right? You pack your burger and you get it ready for the next night. The classic was the, the full unload followed by the reload, which was... They'd, they'd, so you weigh your burger and you weigh your kit, you make sure you've got the right kit and the right weight for the next day. They'd take it all out and then repack it and re-weigh it. Why? Because they're flappers. But, so if you just, just do it once, do it properly, you, you kind of trust that it's done. And, yeah, but and you, you, know, get... you, know when you, leave, you know when you leave your house and then you think, fuck, did I, did I lock the door? And you go back and check the door. No, nah, I don't. I don't. 
Nah. But then I don't. Yeah, I'm not, no, because I've got order. I've got processes on how I do things. Yeah. yeah okay. And I almost don't really care if I turn up the next day with less or more weight because I know that I've weighed it and it's correct. And if my head then turns around and goes, oh, what have you got underweight? I'm also just like, well, I don't really care. What, what's the significance of being underweight? Do you, do you get measured? I get like a rock. And you'd, yeah. have, you'd have to, deli- you know, you get end up getting more weight. But the more weight you... It's like the more weight you're carrying around in that march, the harder that march is going to be. Yeah. So if you turn up with less weight when the weight is supposed to be, say, you know, 50 pounds and you've got 49, they're probably going to give you like a massive rock to stick in your, your Bergen for to that march. To make weight, yeah. yeah. And you're going to have to show that rock at the end. So they're, you know, they're looking hey, um, for that. I was thinking something. Is, has, as two old-timers now, re- retired or whatever you want to call yourself. Semi. Yeah. Do, do you look at is is training environments now uh i need to think of a different word um, not soft but has sports science kind of taken over so like the the mental edge to training has that changed because i'll give you a quick example when i first started mm-hmm. my my journey i played with like the amateur crossover so mm-hmm. rugby went pro in 95 i went professional in 03 when england won the world cup so the guys that had kind of work jobs, played professionally, like they were still playing. So mm-hmm. I played with some of the old school. And I remember training back in the day, like you come in as a young guy, they would literally try and break you. And that's probably how I forged my career because mm-hmm. I just hung on, hung on in there. And the, the training we used to do, you know, we would do some military-based stuff, you know, like crawling and fucking just going on a stupid run, carrying shit and... Um, it didn't matter if you're 130 kilos or 90 kilos, you'd do the same amount of work because it was good for team building. Yeah. And I, I truly believe like that was, there's a need for some of that because it built like a mental resilience of keep going. So so again, in rugby, you only train like sports science says, you only train for like an hour mm-hmm. on feet. You can only be out, you can only do so much good, but anything over an hour, hour and a half, you kind of... Like degradation. Yeah, it's just, you know... <clears throat> Um, standards start dropping and it's pointless and I remember being out when I was like 20 21 years old and you knew when the session was going beyond two hours you know you get the old sideways eyes you'd never mention it mention it and I you know you'd see one guy saying how many more left or something like that Mm -hmm. and they'd go what that you know 10 more now because you'd ask the question whereas now when I finish like pre-season you go out it's like right um academy you've got Wednesdays off because you're not physically developed yet we need to look after you And, okay, guys, on the line, we're going to do four sets of, um, you know, 30-second turnarounds or whatever that means. It's almost like just straight line running, 10 seconds rest, and then we're going to repeat. We're going to do four sets of that. So everyone knows exactly what we're doing, and that's the session. Mm -hmm. And everyone can say, how many are we doing? And I think that that created like almost mental weakness because Mm -hmm. you were being prescribed what you're going to do. Mm -hmm. Whereas in a game or my question to you, when you're in the field there are no rules you know the, the rules change mm-hmm. the, the scenario changes in a game you're not just doing four sets in a game mm-hmm. it could go to eight sets so I kind of look back at my early experiences and go it was old school but it created far more mental resilience and physical resilience yeah. as well yeah um, and that's not to say like sports science saved me in the end because the, the two hour sessions were, were were pointless but did that happen in the military yeah definitely yeah like what you said about resilience, right? The the early stages where um, it was more about just thrashing the soldier and just, you know, it was all about um, doing as much as you can 
and going as far as you can and carrying as much weight and and there was a sense of personal pride within a soldier, especially a soldier that was in the parachute regiment of the Marines or the SAS or SBS. It was personal pride that you could, you know, carry the most weight, um, go for, you know, go for it longer than anyone else, whether it was in, in the desert or the jungle. Um, even just, I remember when I first passed out as a paratrooper, um, the GPMG gunner was, it was prestigious to be the GPMG gunner. So this massive machine gun that weighs, I want to say about 10 kgs, but it weighs more than a normal weapon. And your job is, you know, to your fire support. So you've got to be able to lug this 10 kg weapon to the top of a hill and, you know, provide fire support for the rest of the set for the rest of the section or platoon to come through. So you've got a very important job. But the the ammunition's a bigger ammunition and it comes on link and it weighs way heavier than 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 what the rifle guys have got, right? But you would you're supposed to dish it out and split it up and give everyone in the section an equal amount. But you wouldn't, right? You'd you'd keep it all to yourself. You'd 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 have the heaviest kit, but you'd have personal pride in that. Um and it wasn't like anyone else gave a fuck, right? It was just you. Yeah, but I'm sure there was like a, a tip of the hat to to those gunners when you saw them. Yeah, almost. Yeah. But like more so if you actually went into a contact with a GPMG gunner and he put down fires. Whereas it like if you're just training and doing exercises, it's not really it's not real, is it? Um, I don't know. But yeah, I think you know, the, there's there's definitely resilience that comes with that form of training. Um and it's hard, right? Because I, you always look back at the the newer lads coming up, and they all you know it's like it wasn't like that in my day that that old saying. That, that's kind of what I was saying. Yeah, um, but it's a difficult one, right? Because I think cultures change, uh, not cultures, kind of generation changes, right? So a lot of stuff outside of sport or outside of the military life changes, i.e., social media. Um, that's a big one. Uh, in, in in terms of gym, you know, there's a massive gym culture now, whereas there wasn't when, especially when I joined the, the military and the special forces. Um, but yeah, so it, it, it's it's a fine balance of soldiers. Are, are, I'd say a special forces soldier these days are way better than a special forces soldier 20 years ago. Um, they can probably run longer. They're stronger. They're better developed. They're, you know, they're, they're better shooters. They're they're better at their their field craft and knowledge, and probably more intelligent. And they've adopted a growth mindset, and probably, you know, listened to some good podcasts. They've probably read some good books. Like they're this probably, one, yeah. Like this one. Yeah, yeah. They're probably way more educated in in those terms than say an SF soldier was twenty years ago. Um, but do they lack a little bit of? Like if you could it's, drop it, a little bit of that old school mentality into it as it's well. It's hard to say because it's a fine wanna, balance. I, I think the same with rugby. Like you want a bit of both. Yeah, where they're where they're better in other in other areas, they probably lack lack a little bit of that grit, maybe. Um, but you know, I I still speak to lads that are still in now, and they say that the lads coming up now are are just better soldiers because training training evolves, right? Training methods evolve. I, I remember when I first joined, you'd rarely you'd rarely go and shoot. Um, and if you think of a soldier, the most, especially a spe special forces soldier, the most important part of being a soldier is shooting a weapon, right? And being able to do that accurately and precisely and being able to carry out your stoppage drills. But you, you, you'd rarely spend time shooting. 
Whereas now lads are shooting week in, week out because they've realised when it actually comes down to that crunch moment, that is probably one of the most important reactionary skills that you'll ever have. Um, so so yeah. you, you're kind of saying it's, it's a good thing like that sports science or just methods and education have improved um, the, the soldiering. To, to, it's, is it's, that a word, soldiering? Soldiering is now. Thanks. It's evolution though. Yeah. And I think you've got to, you've almost got to, it's a hard one, right? Because that that grit, you know, made some really good soldiers, but it's not to say that the education and the, the science aspect of it, if you would say science in soldiering, you know, how that's developed and come along, that that doesn't still make, you know, those good soldiers. Yeah, that makes I, get, sense. I get that. I, I think it's exactly the same in, in sport, you know, practices and education and the athletes are far better. It's, it's mm. kind of clear to see. Um, the, the I think there's, there's a definite growth mindset within um, within people these days, whereas you, you didn't have that 15, 20 years ago. It was like a religion, wasn't it? It was like but you'd have some, the some sort of hippie stuff. Yeah, you'd have the pit. If you meditated 20 years ago and someone found out, you would, you know, there was no WhatsApp groups back then, thank God, but you would have the pistol out of you yeah. if you meditated back then. Meditation was for, you know, hemp, hemp trouser wearing. Or you on the top of that mountain <laughs> yeah. talking to the tree. But now it's like, if you're not, if you don't meditate as a professional sports person, you're, you're weird, I'd imagine. Um, Visualisation, meditation. But, but yeah, all yeah, there's, these things, there's, right? there's obviously, it's a bit like the whole mental health conversation. Like there's, there's a bit of a stigma around it. Like I hate talking, I don't hate talking about mental health, but I prefer to call it mental skills, you know. I know yeah. um, your, your friend James Haskell and he's seen someone since he was uh, 18, 19 years yeah. old and he communicates that as well. Like you, everyone trains, mm -hmm. everyone's following weights programs, everyone's quick, everyone's doing sprint, sprint training, you know, tactically on a rugby field. It's not too, you know, everyone's a little bit different, but it's pretty similar throughout. So, like, where are you getting your edge? And um, it's, like, in your head. Like, how are you preparing for games and, and how are you going to prepare to perform uh, physically and mentally? So he kind of talks about it as mental skills, and I, I quite like that. Um, it's a good approach to have. Um, I'm the same. The mental health thing, I'm, I'm sat, on a, sat on a fence with it. Um Probably because I've never seen someone myself, so I don't know the outcome of what that would be. And and I think, you know, with James, he's always seen someone, right, from the start of his professional sports days. Um, I think now I'd I'd probably struggle to, because I've always, you know, self, self-therapied myself through everything. And I'm not saying that's the right or wrong way of doing it. No, but you but found your way, it, right? Yeah it's, yeah, it's always worked for me. And I feel like now I've probably got the tools in my toolbox to be able to get through any you know, hard times or whatever. And I also understand that getting through those hard times are, or, or hard times in general are probably the most important parts of your life. Um, and yeah, I find it like one for someone like me, who's had probably a very different life to a lot of people to find someone who would sit down and understand that or listen or try and make my life better by me explaining what I've, my life, for example, I'd find that difficult. I now. think it depends on, on who you are and, and whether you, you feel like you need it. You obviously don't feel like you need it, but, 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 then, ways... but then it's like, James, right? 
maybe I could get a one percent or a two percent from seeing someone. It's it's yeah, but you, you shouldn't do a disservice to yourself. I know you read and um, or you listen a lot. Um, that, that, that's that's a, a skill in itself. Like not enough people um, do that. You know, you can pick so much up from 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 books or podcasts and stuff like that. And I, I kind of see that as a, as a form of mental skills. Definitely, you know, listening to things um, and then trying to implement it yourself, having that sort of growth mindset to go and find that information. Um, like, <laughs> fuck it, I'll hear you laugh, but. I got rid of all my social media off my phone um, a couple of weeks ago, and how was that? It's good. I feel enlightened, Lib- liberating, uh, yeah, uplifted, mate. Mm-hmm. Just I feel awake. Um, but I started listening to more books. I always kind of in between Twitter, Instagram, um, uh, always podcasts and books. They were always there, mm-hmm. but like they're always half finished. Whereas now I'm smashing through books like every two three days. Yeah, and you know procrastination seems to have gone like there's fuck all to do on my phone other than check an email or whatsapp um and i feel yeah i just feel way more productive um in terms of that so in terms of like mental skills for for me it's trying to educate myself yeah by listening or, or reading and, and learning in that way like i don't need to see someone as mm-hmm. well uh, i don't feel like i do anyway but um i think you get it from 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 talking to people and loads of environments sports rugby environments i've been in there's always been psychs there and when I, was, when I was 19 years old, I got um, my first lengthy ban. They put me in a room with um, Steve Peters, the, yeah, the chimp there. paradox. Yeah, 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 yeah. And like, if I'd known, like now I'd love to talk to him. Yeah. But like, you can imagine a 19-year-old kid yeah. um, kind of resented authority. Um, Probably not mentally developed either, a 19-year-old kid, nah. right? You I, I have no idea what I was I was a boy in, a, in an old-school men's game, like yeah, when yeah. rugby was a bit different. Yeah. Um, and, and I obviously got in trouble funny enough for uh i got banned for i don't want to say it because it's embarrassing but it was, it was james haskell <laughs> i got banned for eye gouging but um oh you gouged haskell didn't you yeah one yes. of my best friends uh were you mates then or yeah of course we were i mean not not mates like we are now i think we've we've become better friends because we kind of retired at the same time yeah. and we've got like shared experiences and when we look back we played from 18 years old to 33 or whatever together. So, Did you purposely eye gouge him? Nah, g- genuinely, uh, it was reckless. Yeah, yeah, It was reckless. I went through a ruck and I just grabbed hold of whatever I could and, and pulled. Um, was it a good one? No, nah, it, it did no damage. It was a good one because it didn't do any damage. Yeah, which, um, yeah fair, But yeah. I kind of got I got stung bad with a, a big band then. Um, but it, yeah, off the back of that, I got put with a psychologist. Um, but yeah, you can't force that sort of stuff on people. No, and I think you're 19 years old, seeing a psycho, you like internally in your brain, you've no idea what's going on at 19, right? I was trying to work it out, man. Like yeah. the other thing is, I was on the other side of the world. I moved uh, away from home at 16 mm-hmm. to the other side of the world. Like I was, I felt like I was the boss of me. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Uh, lived by myself um, from a young age. Worked things out by by myself. And um, again, just resented authority and like you put put you in a sterile environment, you know, with a, a sports psychologist. Like, and this is back in two thousand and seven, I think. Yeah. So, you know, it was completely alien to me, and I was only one year into professional sport, so yeah, it was a bit weird, and that didn't last basically. Um, was the I, was the culture there in terms of psychologists back then? No, it's still not there now. It's ridiculous. You like, you'd think. Like I alluded to before, everyone's doing tactical, technical, physical mm. preparation, basically all the s- same around the world. 
you think the edge would be mental coaching or mental skills. And loads of clubs and, and organisations have kind of guys that come in one day a week. Man, these people should be part of the fabric. You know, yeah. it should be, uh, you know, for, for anyone, even even almost from an agony aunt point of view, if people have got personal issues they need yeah. help with or mental skills on, you know, positive mindset, you know, positive affirmation, going into a game, self-talk, all that sort of stuff. Um, you hear about, like, how to distance yourself from... Um, chaos in a game so mm -hmm. like when when those flash moments happen how to step back mm -hmm. and and not forward um i don't know the, the, there's so many things to to be gained from having someone full-time but this is this is professional rugby like it is professional because players get paid but it's not professional in in so many aspects mm -hmm. like things like that you think would be a a number one appointment mm -hmm. right hand man of the the manager you know um but yeah, it's not there. Is it in the in the military or not? I think it's it's definitely changed from when I from when I joined. Um, so I joined in two thousand and four, and at the time the British Army wasn't doing anything. And then, as soon as we went to Afghanistan, that's when you know PTSD became a thing, and you had guys coming back from Afghan that you know pretty messed up or whatever, and. Um, you didn't really know that there was help out there or you didn't understand what help was, right? Again, we were 20 years old, 21 years old. Some lads were 18, 19. And, um, yeah, you didn't really understand. Like, you didn't know what a counsellor was or you didn't know what a psychologist was. So when you came back and and someone said, oh, you know, you had the, the classic talk of, um, if any, you know, there is welfare out there. And it's usually done by... Oh, what do you call him now? He was he was the priest, the padre. Yeah. So the holy, you know, the the priest or the padre would usually give you this welfare talk and explain that there is help out there. But you know, I was twenty twenty one when I came back from the first Afghan tour in two thousand and six, and you didn't really understand what that help was. You know, does someone plug electrodes into your brain and remap yeah. your brain, or do I lie down on the couch and look at the ceiling? Yeah, and... yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think I think for some some guys it was it was. It was essential, and there's quite a lot of people that were that were seeing psychologists. And do you reckon there's a stigma around it? Massive, you know, like going to see the guidance counselor, maybe, going to massively. The... I think there still is. Yeah, I think for a for a man in a a massively male dominated alpha environment to turn around and say that you're having issues, there is there's definitely a stigma around that. Yeah, that's why you need to change it to like skills. You know what I mean? It's just a skill you're like working on. You, you work on your muscles, you know, you've got big yeah. muscles. You, you work on your bench press, <laughs> but like, do you, are you working on your brain, you know what I mean? It's, but it, um, yeah, it's, um, but yeah, I, th I think it's, it's an evolution, right? And I think that evolution will change because just because you've come back from an operational tour and you've needed to see a psychologist, if you were a really good soldier before you needed to see that psychologist, it doesn't mean that you're going to be a bad soldier when you've seen that psychologist. But it's, it's about just i think i think the culture just needs to shift to an like an understanding of that maybe yeah i i think we're talking about like um in in the environments that we've been in but like what what about in general society now like we've obviously had a, a rough kind of 18 months two years almost with with covid and, and stuff like that is it two years now nah, just over a year, a year and a half isn't it that's just just a year like what what are your thoughts on 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 mental health in that space um do you think it's 
kind of like a buzzword. Um, Again, mate, it's like I find it hard, right? Because I don't know. There's, there's definitely people with some serious mental health issues. Yeah, I, because, I think I should stipulate that. Like a hundred percent, you know, people with depression and people with genuine issues. But yeah, and it's hard. It's hard, like I find it difficult. So I've got my experiences, and I find it hard to be able to because I think do and you know. I do a lot of things that are way different to anyone else, um, you know, in terms of the, or, or maybe I don't, right? I don't even know because I don't even know what anyone else thinks or feels or does, right? And that's, so for me to then say that, given an opinion on someone else's mental health because of what they think of, it's like, you can't, right? Because their their experiences are completely different to my experiences. Um, I can just say that, like this last this last year, I I know what makes me happy in a day or what makes me feel fulfilled in a day and whether it's, you know, like not being lazy, right? A lot of it evolves around not being lazy and, and making sure that I've got things to look forward to and making sure that I'm moving forward in what I do and developing as a person. And if I can tick those things in whatever, you know, by doing whatever, you know, trick or, or method I, I use, then... I'll, I'll go to bed and I'll feel fulfilled and I don't get any anxiety or anything like that. Yeah. Um, if, if, if you've done, if you've achieved in your day and it doesn't mean you've done yeah. anything amazing, but... It might just mean that I've sent a few emails yeah. or I've got up and worked out. Um, yeah. But, you know, if I've had... If I have a day where I don't do anything, that's when I feel... I yeah. feel shit. Where you just kind of doss about, just yeah. bouncing and floating around. Do, do you know spent, what? Spent like three hours scrolling Instagram on absolute nonsense. Well, that, I think that could be a contributor... To, to this mental health, um, the the bulk of it, I, I just think like that technology is is just feeding comparison. So yeah. like if you think about social media, it's just showing everyone's best mm. best lives. You know what I mean? And I think uh, comparison is the, the thief of joy. You know, you're sat there at home looking at other people uh, having a great time, looking great, in shape on holiday you know what i mean then you look at your body your holidays and you're like <laughs> i don't obviously uh no, but but, <laughs> but then, everyone's doing the same right but then you, you're sat there comparing and then you feed that with man like you think about how many people are furloughed now um or on on subsidies or or benefits mm. people don't even have a purpose anymore you don't yeah. even like if you if you took it back even a hundred years if you didn't get out of bed and go to work you don't eat mm. If you don't fix your house, like you get cold. If you don't, you know, you don't have to get off your couch now to get food. Yeah. I saw James Smith do something on that recently and I loved it. Like you can literally get a delivery. That, that was his, his, his delivery bill. Yeah, and it? you get yeah, your yeah. mate to get it from the door. So you don't even have to leave your couch. And then the money that you're paying for it, like where's that come from? Is yeah. it is it benefits? Is it subsidy furlough? So you don't have a purpose. And when you've got people sat at home on technology without a purpose, getting up, going to get their food, going to work, to dig holes, to earn their money, to pay for their house. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you don't have a purpose. I'm not saying you need to do something really meaningful every mm. day, but as long as you're ticking things off and achieving throughout the day, like you say, dealing with that pile of letters or emails, mm. working out, because we all know fucking working out is good for you. Yeah. It's having a purpose, getting up and getting shit done. You know what I mean? And I think there's a lot of people just sat home um, scrolling their, their way to, to poor mental health. And I think that's where a lot of it's born from. You look at it automatically you find yourself scrolling on social media. Well, it's like a social, habit isn't it yeah so i believe that a lot a lot of people probably don't know that they're doing that 
as soon because I still got social media, and I'll find myself scrolling, and I'll just go, Jay, what are you doing? I'll stop doing it, and then I, I can put it down for the rest of the day because I don't want to have that same feeling of scrolling like losing 15 minutes 20 minutes just staring at people's pictures well, it's, it's not even that it's, it's almost like i don't know how to explain it but like deep in your head that screen time like fucks you up man yeah like that that does something to your head like the like the like an overflow of information of it's, 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 i don't know what, i know what you're saying what it is. i can't explain it but yeah. all that screen time is not good uh effectively so do you know what after um again i i I'm but, suggesting but, but that being, you try it. Just, being what? De delete, delete. Uh, no, I, I still have my accounts in there. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I need, I need them uh, at it's, a certain level. But taking it off your phone and um, I had a, a guy I played with actually, he was like, "Bro, you got to treat that shit like it's the gym. You go into the gym, you do your work, and you get out. Like yeah. if you need your social media, set yourself some time, go on, get it done, and mm -hmm. get out. Mm -hmm. Like don't just sit there, kind of killing time." Because um again like I, I watched the the world go by today traveling down here from London like everyone and the, and the world's kind of back to normal now how I see it people are sat outside pubs cafes restaurants people in groups and twos and threes walking around London but like once you've got your head up and you're looking around everyone else has got their heads yeah, down that that's that's weird I find um do you know if you, like if you're in a uh, like waiting for the doctors or waiting for the dentist. That it, those waiting rooms are full of people just staring at the phone. Yeah, don't talk because you're a psycho if you if you yeah. start a conversation with someone it on actually, the train. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. It, I actually I quite like doing that. As in, I try not to just pull pull my phone out in public places, but just being aware of the fact, like like you said, you look around and you see how many people are just zoned into this one thing. I think Joe Rogan says it really well. He's like, imagine if aliens came to this earth and they just came down and rolled. They just saw all these monkeys just staring at the palms of the hand. This, yeah, yeah. this block in, on the palms of the hand and just be mess. You'd like hypnotized by this block in your hands. But you're we we is a we're asleep behind the wheel. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's um it's funny even just walking down here. Do, I'm you, me do you meditate, Dylan? No, I don't. Uh, I tried it. Uh, I just I listen to the books. I fall asleep. I don't know. Is that kind of meditating? No. Nah, nah. <laughs> No, meditating, listen to your own thoughts. My or book. Listen to nothing. No, I don't, I, no. I will, I will now. Still, but like, still part of the hem, when, when hem you're prison, again. like, there's the, there's little things that you take in, like information. So, like, looking at signs and, and road signs and shops, like, you're picking up mm. physical cues all the time. And when you're on your phone, you just miss all that. And, like, speaking from a, a, a family man point of view, it's so easy to have a cup of tea, like we've got in front of us here, and to be just checking your phone yeah. when your kids are looking at you for what's the word confirmation mm -hmm. like they're constantly looking at you kind of to say is this okay or dad look at this and there's nothing and, and parents will be able to relate to this you feel really grubby when your kids kind of pulling on your sleeve and you're yeah. saying oh, i'm i'm doing something and if you're not doing something worthwhile or meaningful you feel like an absolute prick you know what i mean yeah I so like I ever since i got rid of that i feel way better as a as a dad as well yeah but i find that i find that myself and i'm not a father when when friends kids are around and i'm sat staring at my mobile phone i feel guilty because because you're showing them the way right yeah they're absorbing everything that they see that they see right and if they see me constantly staring at my phone that's what they want to do yeah as a you know an eight nine ten year old you are you're a sponge 
Mm. Mate, my, my one-year-old son crawls, right? He's he's not yet walking, but he knows what the phone is. He knows it's a high-value item. Can he open it? No, no, he's not that, there that's, yet. I've seen like three-year-olds been able to be able to open a phone. They can't read or write or anything like that, but they know what the codes are and, and what start means and stuff like that on games. But my son, like he'll crawl and because your phone will be in your pocket or your jacket pocket and it'll fall out, he knows, he sees you with it all the time. So he associates that with with you. So he he picks it up. If there was if there was 10 toys laid out, he would pick up the phone. That's great. It's, it's weird, he knows, isn't it? He, but because he sees you with it so much though, right? Yeah, which is... um. And I'll tell you what, just the, the last sort of month without without the social stuff, my phone's just become obsolete. It's um mm. it's a communication device yeah. now, which is what it should have been. But mate, we're we're kind of going way off here. But um <laughs> it's 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 so good for so many things. Like the technology is so good, but I think it's fucking us in so many ways as well. Yeah. How do you see that in sport? Because when you joined social media wasn't a thing in sport. No. Nah. There wasn't even a WhatsApp. Like I, I'm not a big fan of WhatsApp groups. Mate, we used to bring DVDs. No, DVDs weren't even a thing. Like, like, do you remember headphones, CD players? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, 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 like the someone, ones. Someone would have like a, a library of CDs, yeah. and you'd bring your CDs. And it was, always, remember, it was always the same person who'd have like that that box, big of, folder. Yeah, yeah the big yeah, folder yeah. of DVDs. It was always for us, the South Africans or like the Australians that joined the military, because they they lived constantly in the block. They're away from family and friends. So they were the ones that just had the biggest DVD collection. Well, well prepped. Yeah. But I remember like the, the transition from the changing room before a game. Um, you know, if you wanted music, you had your CD player, your big headphones, you got them on, did your thing. But then iPhones came in and music went onto phones. Mm-hmm. And that was the, the transition of um, no external noise to then external noise coming into the change room. So like the change room in rugby was a sacred thing. Still think it is, but there's cameras in there now. Like I know guys that go to the toilets like before they go to text their missuses and talk to their missuses and shit like that. And you you look over to the guy next to you, he'll be on Snapchat, Instagram, just because it's a dirty habit. And yeah, I'm like, yeah. man, yeah. like the most important people are in this room here. You should be communicating with them, talking to your guy next to you. How you feeling today? You good? Uh, you clear on that move or the start of the game, this is what we're looking to implement. But instead, it's like this dirty habit, just got to check Twitter, check. And like you're filling your head with information that you don't need yeah. when all I want you to be thinking about is the first first contact of the game, the first set piece mm-hmm. of the game. Um, and again, without sounding like an old, grisly, miserable, retired pro, like that is a massive change I saw and one I didn't like. Mm-hmm. Um, guys coming in, taking photos of their shirts hanging up. And I'm like... You're only taking that photo to post on Instagram yeah. to get likes for for gratification. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You're not you're not taking that photo to show your ma. Mm-hmm. Like you're doing it every week, but you're doing it for the likes. Yeah, it's yeah. like, where's your head at? Are you here to perform or are you here to kind of get content? It's um Is that something you saw, you know, when you were captain of England? Yeah. Is that something that you see in an international changing room? On the bus on the way to game. Really? You know, guys, because 'cause they've got their music on their phones. Mm-hmm. And the, the bus on the way to the game is pretty quiet. It's head down. Everyone's. I was one of the fair few that just didn't listen to music on the way. I'd just sit and, and watch and look out the window. Is but, that is that like um, because most people have a pre take away social media. Most people have a pre match. Yeah. Prep in their own head. Like I'd say it's that. But, yeah. So when when you're swiping for your music and stuff though, like guess what? In between, old, you, you're always going to end up back there. <laughs> the Instagram monster. Yeah. Yeah. Fucking has you. And then I'm just saying, like, 
it just complicates things. It just puts more thoughts in your head and, and drags you to, you know, looking at people on holiday or... Um, <laughs> right, that's really, good for testosterone. Really influential, uh, <laughs> positive. Test, yeah. But I'm just saying, like, it, it, it's everywhere in, our, in society now. Um, do you... Um, do you have a, a pre-game ritual or, or warm-up or bar the, you know, bar the acupuncture and, and swimming pool sessions that you do to get the body in in check? Do you have a, a mental way of preparing before a game? No, I got I got to a point where you know preparation for me was was Monday to Friday, so mm. you know performing every day there. So Saturday was it was pretty well ingrained, and uh, I don't know about you, but the more you do something, the easier it, be it became. Yeah, I didn't yeah. really get nervous at the end and. Um, it was just business as usual and I just tried to keep it as, as simple as possible I think when you're young you're trying to work it all out you know I've got to eat this and I've got to do this I've got to go to bed at this time and I, I you know if you've got your, your kind of foundations there of, of you know you're hydrated you've eaten well yeah. you've prepared well in the week I, I say it's the kids now I, I mentor some kids and it's like who gets nervous before a test and like you get a mismatch of hands up. I say, I bet you don't get nervous before a test if you've done your homework. Mm -hmm. You want to be that kid. Like if you've done your homework, you're like, pick me. I've got the answer yeah, type yeah. thing. Same thing before a race or before anything. If you've been training for three months, running 5K and you've got 5K race, like you're ready to to compete. Yeah. Um. And I think the only time I got nervous is if I didn't know my stuff. So like being a hooker, um, you know, the, the amount of line-out combinations stored in my, my head was like Rain Man by the end of it. <laughs> But if you went in not knowing, you can't commit fully to an action if you're second-guessing yourself. Yeah. So it basically came down to knowing if I'd done Monday to Friday really well, um, tick those boxes off, Saturday became really easy. It's the same thing with like, or, or it's fucking crazy because I played with this American dude, Tongan American, best player I ever played with, Samu Manar. He used to chew uh, tobacco before a game, spit, yeah, yeah. spit into a bottle, like... The Americans love that, don't they? But he wouldn't Dip. warm up. He wouldn't warm up. And there's me, like, you know, in my process of the four or five years I played with him, trying things, you know, you know, everything from massage guns to to stretching to to fire-ups. You know, we started doing, like, Olympic lifting fire-ups and mobility and sometimes I'd go out in the field and visualize, do all this. He used to sit there, chew tobacco, go out and just <laughs> smack it every week, like, <laughs> like smack it out of the park. Just, I was like, that Samu, he's just, yeah. The, 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 there was always those guys, right? There was It was the same in the military. There was always those guys that would be able to stay, you know, stick 10 pints of Guinness on a Thursday, get up on a Friday at 6 a.m., be whistling, like, you know, no hangover, be able to perform at the best that they've ever been able to perform. You know, their diet was always, you know, they'd eat McDonald's and, you know, fish and chips and all the stuff that you shouldn't eat, but always always be shredded always be like in good shape um yeah i've never never been one of those guys no, me neither shredded what's shredded yeah did um growing up in new zealand and playing rugby in new zealand did you did you always feel that you would end up playing internationally nah i wasn't um i wasn't good enough um uh i didn't make like rep teams as a kid i always played a year ahead as well um and i think that was good for me i wasn't um you know, look at me. Physically, I wasn't that impressive uh, as a kid. You know, trying to make rugby in New Zealand was pretty difficult. Um, but I was down the pecking order. So, yeah, at 16, I just, um, I was playing a good standard in that. But um, I wasn't, you know, we had a, a future All Black in there, a couple of uh, professional rugby players 
in there, I wasn't really cutting the, the mustard. So is that saying? Cut the mustard? It is now. Thank you. Dylan Hartley, cut the mustard. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, ju I just looked to mix it up. Um, found an opportunity and, and pursued it. Um, but I, I created the opportunity as well, which is, um, you know, when I look back at it, you've got to be assertive, you know what I mean? You've got to make your own luck. Because um, a lot of people say they want to do something. I didn't know I was doing this at the time, but now after umpteen bloody podcasts and talking to kids and doing Q&As and that, like loads of people make plans or, or say they want to do something but don't commit to it. Mm -hmm. Whereas I kind of had an idea of what I wanted to do and the pathway I had in New Zealand wasn't there. So I basically made a different path for myself and I committed to that. Do you think was, that's just an age thing though? Because looking back on, a lot of people say to me, do you think, you know, did you want to be in the special forces when you were younger or did you know that you'd be in the spe special forces? And I don't have a clue. Like, you know. What, it just happened? Like, like I'm like you, right? I had, an, I had an idea of what I wanted my life to look like or be like. But, I, you know, in terms of specifics, I would never have turned around to someone when I was, say, 19 or 20 and said that in five years that I'd be in the special forces. But I had an idea that, you know, when I joined the military, I joined the paras because it was it was difficult. It was seen as um, a harder route to go down than just joining, say, the engineers or be, joining be, to be a medic. Um, and there's, 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 there's an element of kudos that comes with that, right? And then, I don't know, like... I just, I, yeah, I found myself on selection and whether that was because I was, whether that was because I, I wanted to be better and do do better, like a growth mindset thing or, or I just ended up on there, right? I didn't really know much about the special forces or, or the SAS, but I don't know. I just found myself, there was like, I didn't go, right, I want to go on selection. This is the only thing that I want to do. If I don't pass this, then. Yeah, I um, think you set yourself up for, so what, what I'm hearing is like, I think you don't want to be a dick and go, I'm going to be in the special force at 24. I never said at 21, I'm going to play international rugby. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I think deep down, I had, you got burning ambitions and, you know, publicly to my friends and family, I'd say, I'm going to, I'm going to, chase this rugby thing I'll, i really want to give this rugby thing a go so i'll talk about it but like you don't want to sit the, the lofty things because yeah you want to be the, the, you want to have some humility about yourself right? yeah i mean deep down i think and I, if you I fail a burning you like desire a yeah exactly you don't yeah. want to be a dick and say i'm going to do this and then you don't but i think deep down i don't know about you but i had a burning desire to play at the highest level mm. and but you don't just go straight to the highest level there's a there's a process you know you got to do the rep stuff or um, paras before yeah, yeah. selection you know what I mean so it, it was a process and I think when you're in the process um, you kind of the incremental incremental sort of uh, progression you know like step by step mm. you start getting a bit better and you, you all of a sudden like shit I'm a professional rugby player now playing domestic rugby in England the next step I suppose is to play international rugby mm. and like that's there for you if you want it like you, you're at that level now. Go, go for it. So, um, yeah, man. Like, I think you've got to have ambition, and I think you've got to have plans or something in place because, especially if you want something, you know, if you don't want anything and you just go along, you end up in the special forces or playing international rugby. That that's great. You, you must be really good at what you do. 
But like, I think if it's not clear and obvious the path for you, you've got to try and make that path clear and obvious if that mm. makes sense. Talk about it, write it down. I didn't write it down, but I, I started, initiated a process, you know, move to England. Yeah. You know, any opportunity to play, any trial, I'll go. Got an offer to go join a, um, a second division academy, championship academy, joined that on a promise of, of money. Didn't, got like fuel expenses, but I could tell mum and dad I was professional. I was mm -hmm. basically lying. And then play Northampton on a Monday night, ask them if I can go there because they're a better club, better facilities. And again, ask the question, can I come here? Always kind of driving your own career. Um, so yeah, I reckon you've got, you got to have a, a plan. And again, the humility to ask for help as well. Mm -hmm. you know, shit just doesn't happen. you got to, you got to make it happen. Yeah, true. Um, final question. Um, if you could give any advice to any anyone that wanted to become a professional sports person, what would you give them? Uh, I'd, I'd say just what we finished on then. Have have a a chat with yourself about what you want to achieve and um, find find help to, to get you there. Does that make sense? Make yeah. a plan. Yeah. Make a plan, commit yeah. to it. And, you know, lofty ambitions, whatever, it can seem a million miles away. But um, again, these these kids I'm, I'm talking to at the moment I'm working with, um, they're kind of 16, 17, 18 and there's no reason why they can't there's other professional rugby players at 18 mm. years old you know Owen Farrell and George Ford were, were capped at 19 years old it's like why can't you do it make a plan you might not be strong enough now but if you start lifting weights every week for three years if you start doing speed training skill training like but you need a plan to do that and yeah. guess what you need people to help you you need to get good advice so like it wasn't until 30 I actually started caring about training mobility stretching like the older i got the more mature i got i got in less trouble and i started playing slightly better more consistently not not like smashing any records or anything but just doing my job mm -hmm. really efficiently but it wasn't do you think that's be like fitness is a bit of a gift when you're younger isn't it especially oh staying injury gosh. free yeah 100 percent. i used to like play go out on the smash yeah you know whereas if i played now it'd take me three days to put myself back together if you put alcohol on top of that like four days yeah but um i think the you know young people it's like get help there's people with like sports science degrees in like snc there's people with um diet advice nutrition there's people sports psych with mental skills like you think with the growth mindset of, of coaches now coaches are trying to improve there's different methods of coaching like find good coaches to help you with your your technique and on whatever it is. So, I think just make a plan and find help to to execute your plan. Mm -hmm. And like the plan ain't going to go fucking hundred percent right. There's going to be setbacks along the way, but at least you're doing something about it. If if you don't make a plan, you don't even get past week one. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? You just fall into old habits of of chaos. You need I, order, mate. Chaos yeah. and order. You need order and routine. Yeah, I prefer chaos. Um, I. Uh, I think those setbacks, though, and you know, definitely the the more difficult parts of your career are potentially the most important parts. Formative, right? Yeah, yeah. Experience a good. You teacher get the most. You get the most from them, right? Hundred um, percent. Losing, you know, the best lessons come in losing, or I suppose in your world, um, losing's not really an option, is it? Um, but yeah, that, I suppose that's the one difference between sport and what you did is that you, there's always another chance. Mm -hmm. Like you lose one week, it, it sucks. But 
like as long as you I learned this later in, in my career as well it was a good thing as long as you didn't lose for like the same thing again mm -hmm. and I suppose when you're on the field losing ain't really an option is it no um, I think you know that's why we we stack the odds in our favour as best as we can whether that's with fire support whether that's with you know even the medical team on the ground or the amount of numbers on, on the ground it's got to be greater than the threat that we're we're fighting super army soldiers super army soldier dylan thank you thanks to our sponsors harley davidson who have helped make this latest adventure possible check them out at harley slash davidson.com or give at harley underscore uki a follow on twitter thank you